You know, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Here we are. It is civil discourse. This is not a safe space. Indeed, this is not a safe space. And it's even more dangerous today because we are, for the first time in the history of the world, incorporating camera. <laughs> So we have yes, no idea. Which, which has new technical challenges that we really don't want to address, but it's probably time we start to use camera. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> so. I mean, I suppose uh, it's worth asking the question, have we confirmed we're actually recording on the vid video side of things? Um, uh, the video is rolling. The audio on my end is rolling. Yeah, and and yeah. so people not only are, are disgusted with what we say, they're now disgusted with how, <laughs> with how, we, how look. we look. Yes, there it is. <laughs> Uh, and, so, and that's just one of the many services we provide here at Civil Discourse. So uh, welcome to all of you. It's wonderful to have you back as listeners and hopefully joining us uh, on video too. Um, we have been discussing all kinds of new ways to uh, put our product out there for, for you guys, um, our faithful audience. And um, it's time to get get not just the sound, but uh, get the video going in the worlds of TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and whatever other Rumble, Odyssey, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yes, I, I went and did all the research. <laughs> so you know what's funny is uh, for you and me, it's like this whole new world. For you know the rest of the world, it's like really they're only now catching up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all the guys who come right behind you and age, uh, the millennials, uh, are, are all like, oh, listen to these two geezers talk about this <laughs> like it's all new stuff. Uh, how about off with you, old men? Pretty soon they'll say shore boomer. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's about what it is. And um, hey, uh, I don't know. Have you heard of cellular technology? It's this whole new thing that uh, I was just. I, I think to. it's some newfangled technology the kids use. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I I I went to one of these monster phones, and um, because that's what work provides me, and uh, that's called an iPad. I, I, isn't it, it took me. That was not an iPad. That was a phone. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing was, it took me almost a year to figure out I could have both lines on one phone. That's how far beyond I am, and, and so I don't have to carry two phones anymore. Uh, and of Atta course, boy. again, the millennials are all <laughs> laughing at me saying, you just figured that out. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> so, that's a worthy attaboy right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, no, it, it's it's exciting times here at Civil Discourse. And, and first, I, I, I'm sure that Charles said it, but I, I also want to thank everyone for their faithful listenership. If, you, if you've been through the, I think it's 35 episodes that we've done, we, we thank you for being with us and, and um, helping us get along. And, and really our goal, I think, is to... Well, I don't think I know. Our goal is to get a bigger audience and allow more people to interact with us. So not only will you listen to us and now watch us, uh, we are also planning to go out into social social media here very soon and, yes. and start to hit the social media world, uh, including probably as much as I don't want to Facebook and Twitter, which I loathe. And I loathe them both equally. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and, and it's, uh, it's worth saying we're going to be strategic about it. Um, there are many things. This probably won't be a shock, but uh, in case you're our first time listener, um, we have been known to have opinions on things, uh, you know. And, uh, us? <laughs> <laughs> and we do our very best, to be fair, to try and make those informed opinions. But uh, we are right. human nonetheless. And and. Um, we will probably be setting up a number of these uh, formats in, in, in the name of our show and expressing uh, our thoughts and opinions as a function of our show, not just necessarily, hey, 
Mike said this, or or Charles said that. Or Charles said that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but and, but and really. you know the the big thing is is I I watched a documentary, The Social Media Dilemma, and, and for me personally, uh, it hits me because I do I I I am very disciplined because I have an addictive personality, as you know, and, and so I have to be disciplined or else I fall prey to my own addictions, and so uh, you and I about the same time in life about the same time in, in, in the recent past, both decided we were just going to step away from social media. Yes. It was driving us both nuts. And then that documentary came out and I watched the documentary and said, Oh, that's why it was driving me nuts. So, uh, it was one of those things, but this time we're going to be strategic and we're not going to get involved in 18 million groups and, 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 uh, do all that stuff. We're going to just promote this show. So, well, uh, the, the problem and, and, you know, this is a topic in and of itself is the inundation of, of media and, and the rise of social media that I think you could make a good argument in a lot of ways. It seems to have overwhelmed traditional media platforms. Most people are not getting their news from the evening nightly news on NBC. They're, well, and, and that absolutely includes both of us. I, I never watched the news. Uh, you know, to be fair, I was always an NPR listener and it would be the morning edition, uh, all things considered in the evening. And then throughout the day, depending on what station you listen to, there would be check-ins at the top of each hour. And especially when I lived overseas, that was great for me because it was a great way to feel that I was still in touch. You know what I mean? It was something that was a familiar dish for me, um, orally speaking, and intellectually, no matter what corner of the globe I happened to be in for six years, we were overseas. That was a piece of home for me um, that I right, felt right. I could rely upon. And, and I was grateful for it. But I have found, and, and especially in the both COVID and I would argue post-Trump uh, presidency or, or, or election, the first, well, I guess only one election, um, uh, or campaign period, the language around the news changed a lot. I mean, these terms we've talked about it before of, of fake news, of uh, you know the liberal media elite. The yeah, you know, there are all kinds of different uh, uh, perspectives on 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 mainstream news, and it was interesting to see the reaction of a lot of these news sources to try and find their way through this new uh, attitude about them. And I notice, in, again, using NPR as an interesting example, uh, they, a new term came out that they would promote themselves as fact-based news, a, a combination of words you never heard before that period in our political uh, development, uh, if you want to call it that. Um, and it's interesting because all of a sudden you start seeing, I think, is it Fox News that started saying uh, fair and balanced or something like that? They yes, would start yes, putting, yes, yes. And, and, uh, and, and CNN had their CNN little, catch, had their everybody had their little yeah. catchphrase, yeah. Everybody was trying and, to find their way to navigate these perceptions of them, some of which probably were based in some truth uh, or fact. And others that were just a matter of of, of political uh, uh, propaganda, I guess, would be the the term. Um, 
it's 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 true and and you know it's funny to me is is you know fox is the number one news network on television there's no doubt about it but they represent a viewpoint that the other networks don't represent so they're going to be number one because all people are going to coalesce around fox that hold those views whereas uh, on the more progressive side uh cnn msnbc nbc news they're going to kind of divide the audience if you will and, and i found that interesting now, I, too, listen to NPR generally as a rule. I know folks who work on the NewsHour program mm-hmm. on PBS, and, and they're good people. I, I, I don't necessarily agree with their politics, but I don't question their integrity and their honesty. Uh, maybe their perception of things we disagree on, but not not what they're reporting. And, well, and so and this- I, I have nothing... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to... No, no, and I was going to... Just real quickly, you're going to hear me quote Michelle Obama, semi-quote or paraphrase Michelle Obama, so stand by and hold on to your seat. She said something uh, that I heard through somebody else, but I thought it was quite profound, is what folks, what people do online, they would never do face-to-face. Absolutely. It would be a much more civil society if we just interacted face-to-face. And I'm not a fan of her her husband's uh, presidency. You've known that, I, 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 and particularly on the war issue. Uh, but I'm sure if I met him, he'd be a very charming and, and likable guy. You don't get to be president without being charming and likable. And, you well, know, I it's, think it's, that, it's you know, skill. this is this is part of the, you know, charming and likable. We can say that about a lot of people. Um, and that that doesn't hold a great deal of of uh, stock for me. A, a decent human being. You know, I, I lived in Hollywood for a lot of years. I met a lot of charming likable people that I wouldn't that necessarily decent, decent right? human beings. Um, <laughs> well, and I don't know that any politicians at te- well, there's well, some. Well, no, no, no. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I, I think <laughs> that there is a certain quality you unfortunately have to have to survive in, in the body politic. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. And there's definitely a deeper reflection on the reflective nature of our politicians vis-a-vis our populace. You know, we, in, right. in theory, our uh, politicians are supposed to be a representation of we the people. And <laughs> that's that's its own podcast, which we certainly could revisit. Well, maybe but, they are. <laughs> well, th- I think that's part of the argument. I think that's part of the argument. And this, there is a certain element of, uh, of the chicken and the egg here, because in a lot of ways, the people are influenced by the politicians, even perhaps manipulated to a degree that it's it's sort of coming down from above. But on the other hand, a lot of that politi- political uh, theory is grounded in what they perceive their electorate wants to hear them say. And that's probably closer to what it should be. But is it a genuine representation or is it a manipulative one? And that's where we're constantly having this back and forth. But to get back to our, our earlier point about why we got off of social media and um, the story I was sharing about how I relied on NPR, not the uh, television news when I was overseas, um, which again was something I grew up with. We really didn't watch the evening news either. I grew up listening to uh, all things considered and so forth. So it's sort of a home base for me. But when we had this shift in the discourse around news reporting um, in the, you know, what, oh, I'm trying to think, 
it's 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 been a long time coming, but I think the hill got steeper and steeper, Six, and then sixteen somewhere 15 around there, started, yeah. fifteen, sixteen, yeah. I, my own inability to be dispassionate about what was going on started to drive a certain emotional and dare I say health or or unhealthy response on a daily basis, to the degree that. I used to wake up every morning and turn on the radio and listen to the morning news and listen to it throughout the day and check in with the evening program and so forth. And I got to a point myself where to this day, it is a real battle for me to turn on the news in the morning. I don't want to start my day with most of what's being reported. And I'm not arguing whether it's stuff that should or should not be reported. It's just not the kind of emotional space I want to be in to start my day or finish it. You know, again, the nightly program, that's not the last thing I want to hear before I go to bed either. Well, and I've shared this story with you where I, I told you about visiting my folks and, uh, you know, my dad's like, come on in and watch this guy or watch that mm-hmm. guy. I'm like, dad, this is not what I'm going to watch right before I go to bed. I, I yes. want to have happy thoughts. I, I'll watch a hockey game with you. Uh, yes, I mean, I'd much rather watch listen to people beat on each other on the ice ring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll I'll sit at the table and we can play spades or or, or cribbage. Yeah. I'd be happy to do that, but I am not going to sit and watch some political talking head talk about the events of the day and give his or her spin on it. I'm I'm not, and I don't care what what side they're on. I'm not going to do it. I'm not because inevitably I'm going to leave the table or the couch angry, Steamed. Yes. And, and that's no yeah. way to go to bed. That is Absolutely. no way to go to bed. And. <laughs> and the so here's the delicate balance because I do still believe it is important to be informed. I do still believe it is important to be engaged. And I am personally struggling, and I, I would it'd be interesting those of you watching or listening um, to share your thoughts on on this. I struggle to walk that balance of staying engaged, staying informed in a in a truthful, fact based way, if you want to call it that while not engaging at the at the level that is going to constantly have me in a PO'd state, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, I'm tracking. And, you know, it's why I went to all sides, which I've shared that link with, the, and I'll share it again with our, our, mm-hmm. our viewers and our listeners. And I, I always want to make sure that if I'm reading a story, I click the left perspective, I click the right perspective and read them both. And, mm-hmm. and that way, and as I've said before, I figure the truth is somewhere in the middle. And uh, if they both agree, I'm like, okay, this is what happened. Yeah. Uh, if they disagree on the perspective, and oftentimes the only place they're disagreeing is the headline. It's mm. how they're framing it before they go into the article. And, and so uh, I'm a big fan of all sides because I can, I can listen to that. The other news source I still rely on a great deal is BBC NewsHour. Yes. Uh, because, of course, it's uh, now there is a perspective there, and, and I do understand that. But but I, I the other thing I get from BBC NewsHour that I don't get from American media is the, the, the global the global stuff. Uh, you know, folks aren't aware. We're typically not aware of what's going on in Europe or Asia or, or uh, Australia or anywhere else. And the BBC tends to do a pretty decent job of hitting all the continents, Africa Mo- most and so of on the in time, reporting. Most of the time in our mainstream media, if it's going to be a report around international affairs, it's relative to our American concerns as opposed to... Now, that's not the case, I would say, in disaster situations. We've heard a lot about the earthquake uh, recently um, in the the East and so forth, and that doesn't affect us politically in the way that I'm referring. 
but we still are getting worthy human-based, human interest uh, reporting on that. Um, But yeah, you're right. Most of our our, uh, reporting news and and whatnot is, if it goes across the pond, it's still, and and why is that important to us? How is that affecting us? Which is not a perspective we shouldn't engage. I mean, we should be interested in what these things happening overseas, you know, have to do with us. But it's also nice to know what's going on else in the world, just to know what's going on else in the world. There well, are people well, out there beyond know, our borders. You know, you and I had a discussion earlier this week where we were talking about the election in uh, Nigeria. And I don't mm. know that many Americans actually know there is an election going on in Nigeria, but because of the way we consume, and I use the word consume in quotes, which now people can see, consume. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the way we consume news, you and I consume news is very different than I think most folks in that mm. we tend to branch out and look across a lot of, sp- and that's not, we're not saying, I'm not saying we're better or worse or, or it's just the way we are. Uh, and part of that is because of our, our world traveling, which we both did a great mm. deal of. In addition, um, our ties to Europeans uh, and fa- in my case in family and in your case in friends and very close uh, folks in your life. So we have an interest in what's going on in the world because we know people there. Yes. We, we have friends in Nigeria. We have friends in the UK. We have friends on the continent. And consequently, we're interested in what's going on in their lives. And, and so I think that's why we consume news the way we do, because we have a personal interest in, in what our friends are going through right now. An invested <laughs> and so, interest. Uh, absolutely. And you know, that's that again, that's not an unusual tale. I and mean, most of us are going to be concerned with our own family, so to speak. Um, right. And, and the way we define family is, is, you know, going to be different for everybody, but, uh, the, the concept is universal, I would argue, um, for the most part at least, but what does this have to do with social media? Well, again, the same psychological effect that I mentioned about struggling to maintain, you know, intimate contact with the news reporting because it is you know, a, a challenge to be healthy internally, uh, mentally, and, and sometimes physically after you hear some of these tales of, of our uh, goings on. Well, social media now, along with mainstream news reporting, but it's this thing, you know, that's in our pocket. You can't go away from it. It's by our heads at night uh, on our nightstand. It's in the car. It's, you know, in the elevator. It's in the toilet for, for those who are into that sort of usage of time. It's everywhere. And the vast majority of it at in the least uh, negative description is a waste of time. You know, it's garbage. It's it's fluff at best. In the the most pernicious element, it's vile, uh, you know, vitriol politically and socially that uh, you're engaging. I, I mean, would I be exaggerating to say maybe 1% of what you come across in a social media context is actually of any import? I, I think a little bit of exaggeration. I think the 10%, I would say 10%, and that's the 10% of the time you spend looking at family photos and the photos of friends who are doing something that you're interested in. And, you know, that kind of stuff is worthwhile to keep in contact with friends and family. You think, uh, you think people you know, spend 10%? My cr- <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I think I would not call that time. That is valuable use of social media. Yes, staying in touch, with family, in and touch with family and friends. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
And when I made the decision, and you and I had discussed this, uh, and we both came to our decision independently of one another, but once we made the decision, we talked about why we both pulled out of social media. And I remember telling you the one thing I was going to miss with five siblings was being able to keep in touch with all my brothers and sister and seeing their pictures every day and seeing uh, those things. And I still miss it. And occasionally my wife, who's still on social media but doesn't get involved in those discussions like you and I would have, <laughs> will show me those pictures. And I miss that stuff. But honestly, it, it, I would not change what I did uh, in that perspective. But but in regards to, to civil discourse, your point has been we need to get over it and start to talk to our, our listeners and viewers. And I think you're right. I think we do need to get over it, uh, our aversion to social media. Uh, which is funny, by the way, I still have LinkedIn. I never got rid of that because it's a professional network. It's professional and, and media, so the focus yeah. Is pro- yeah, it's professional. And I don't, there are political discussions that come up on LinkedIn and I just don't, I don't. That's well, not the purpose of LinkedIn. I so, think there's also, you know, again, strategic usage. We, now I actually have, to be fully honest, my, my Facebook uh, probably for the last, I don't know, six months or something, was reactivated and it was because I needed to get in touch with somebody and that was the only place I could get to them. And I decided yeah, it's fine, but I'm also very strategic with how I use it. I, I check it probably once daily. Um, you know, when I'm sitting there at the doctor's office in the waiting room and the magazines are done. Okay. Maybe I check in. I never engage with a political dialogue. I might read something at best. I might like or dislike something if there's, if it's anything I even want to have association with, I, I pay attention to what people are saying and thinking, but I will not get dragged into a back and forth. Like so many people we all know that is just, there's no, first of all, if you're engaging on that level, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to bring enlightenment to the person you're battling with. They're there for the same person, the reason you are, and it wouldn't matter what you say. So to engage in it is some form of self, I, I don't even know what, emulation practically. It's resting a pig. <laughs> you you yeah. end up muddy and dirty and the pig likes it. <laughs> you know? exactly. so, 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 so no, I, I'm not no. going to do it. I don't get, in, I don't <laughs> get involved. Do <laughs> um, but I have found that there has been some practical, unfortunately. And you know what's interesting is... Uh, I don't think this is a new idea even in the last couple of years, the uh, younger generations than us have been moving away from Facebook and into the TikTok and the Instagram and whatnot. Facebook is now for the old folks. <laughs> it, it is. So, so the old folks will return to Facebook as civil discourse. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, the fo- old folks will probably also go on TikTok and, and I do have an Instagram for the band. I, I've never, I only use it for the band. So I, I guess I need to branch beyond that. Uh, meaning the Lazarus Trio, yeah, yeah, and I have a, I have a, I think I have still have a Twitter account for the Lazarus Trio, but by nature of what that is, I don't do politics in the, in the, because that's not appropriate sure. for that account. Sure, that's that's different. Uh, so, and same thing in this case. We while we discuss political issues and certainly want to have people comment on these new sites as they come up, and we will we will interact with you. I will restrict that to to civil discourse and and we're going to I think if, when we do this our comment section will be like like our discussions that we have here on the podcast we're going to be civil we're going to be kind 
and and telling uh, Charles or or well telling Charles that he's a moron that doesn't know blah 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 is inappropriate and vice versa. I mean, we're going to treat our listeners with the same respect. Yeah, our listeners with the same respect. Well, we let's treat, let's, treat each let's other. put it this way: we can't control how people Obviously write us. Not. But if if your intent with a certain tone is to try and get a certain reaction. Prepare to be disappointed. We're more disciplined. Than that. Yeah, we're gonna. Laugh. We're, we're actually gonna. We're gonna screenshot it and send it to each other and laugh about you. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll that's, that's gonna be our tactic. <laughs> and, you know, and you know what we may do? <laughs> we may. There's there's a there's a, a a trend going on that I've noticed here recently in the backlash with social media is monetize your enemies. So when we're going to take you, we're going to post you, and we're going to use it to get more people to come listen to our podcast. <laughs> so we're going to monetize our enemies. We may even put it on a T-shirt and sell it. So, so we may we may that, not be hip, plan. but uh, what 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 is it? Uh, there was a wonderful meme a while back that uh, showed uh, gang the the modern gangster vis-a-vis the classical gangster. And of course, you see the uh, the the guy today with you know the pants around the knees and you know whatever. Just I guess that's called hip hop. I don't know what it is, but the modern version of that word, what it brings to mind, as opposed to back in the day with a pinstripe suit and a hat and a vest, looking and, sharp, you know, a thousand dollar pair of shoes and this and that. And uh, you know, don't judge us by this outfit. We're that 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 old school hipster. We're the old school gangster. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny you should say that because uh, I I don't I, I I this is just a quick sidebar. I I've been purging my wardrobe and, and uh, I I realized that three closets full of clothing. And yes, I'm telling the truth, and I'm not the only one on this podcast that has three closets worth of clothing. Uh, <laughs> but I, I realized that was way too much. It, it was a an abundance of choice, which then causes analysis paralysis. So I, I went through and I started ditching stuff and, and some of it's good stuff. So I'm not going to throw it away. It's going to either, uh, I'll give other folks in my life first shot at, and then maybe try to sell it on one of those online sites or, mm-hmm. or worst case scenario, it'll go to the goodwill or, or be probably the veterans, the DAV mm-hmm. disabled veterans. Uh, but, but I was laughing cause Megan said, what about your suits? And I said, Oh no, we're yeah. not purging suits. Suits stay. No. <laughs> so it, it, um, it's it's going to be suits and proper adult wear for someone who's not 25 anymore. <laughs> I'm getting rid of the stuff that's a little younger uh, because being classy, you know, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I went to an, uh, an event. This would have been in the 90s. And uh, it was a daytime event. I was hanging, handing out some literature uh, back when I was very politically active. And I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt because it was 90 degrees out in the middle of summer. And I'm handing out literature. And then the guy I'm with says, get in the car. We're going to go meet Russell Kirk. And Russell Kirk was a, a conservative um, philosopher mm. who, who taught at, I think, Hope College up in Michigan. Mm. Uh, and I show up. Everybody's wearing a suit except me. And so what I learned from that incident was you can never be overdressed but you can be underdressed. And in that moment I was way underdressed and I was yeah. like, no, you know, if you have a suit on, you can take off your jacket, yep. you can take off your tie, you can unbutton your collar and, and you can blend, but you cannot blend when you're wearing shorts and a t-shirt and everyone else is wearing a suit. So um, yeah, the suits don't go. I always throw a sport coat because one thing I like about modern culture, you put on a sport coat with a pair of jeans and, a, and a, either a Henley or a button down shirt and you're okay. You, yeah. you can blend. 
You but, can even rock some boots <laughs> with that outfit right there. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and by the way, um, yeah, your, your influence on me is that boots are, I, I, I looked and I actually have a massive collection of boots. Some of them came through your closet first, but. Well, was, you know, was, all in the family. <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, hey, a, a pair of cowboy boots will work with a suit or or with a pair of jeans. So there you, you know, go. It's, it's interesting. And, and we're sort of all over the place topic wise today. But uh, since since we're, you know, <laughs> following the stream, as it were, um, there's a, there's an interesting concept that's not a new one. This idea that the clothes make the man and you don't want to judge people by the clothes they have. But there is a certain perception that is inevitable based on the clothes you choose. And sometimes you don't know if, this, or if things are a choice or that's all they have. And you want to be very careful about that. But to some degree, that's the outward concern. What's, what I find more interesting is the psychology, the inner psychology of the wearer when you choose to go to work with a shirt, a button-down shirt, a pair of slacks, proper pair of shoes, there is a different sense of self, a different sense of relation to your colleagues and to the work you're doing, depending on what you're wearing. And some work, you know, professional environments are trying to cultivate a more relaxed setting. I mean, you hear this all the time. I, I don't know if it's uh, Apple or um, Microsoft or some of these places that or Facebook where, you know, if you came in with a suit and tie, they'd probably kick you out the back door um, because they they want it to be young, hip, relaxed, put your feet up and, and this sort of thing. But I wonder what the if, if there are metrics out there and there probably have been studies that I don't know about. I wonder what the metrics of the atmospheric, the the productivity um, the social elements of a workplace, uh, you know, how how would you measure the difference depending on what the dress standard is for that? And, you know, there's something that's maybe too stiff. You know, there's, a, there's an extreme on both ends. But, you know, we look at Mad Men, that show that depicts probably a lot of truth about Madison Avenue era, was it 1950s, uh, 60s era? Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, you were just in a beautiful, you know, and it didn't have to be expensive, but it was always clean. It was always pressed. It was always put together properly, fitting right. You came to work with a certain uh, psychological disposition. And I wonder, have we have we really lost something that we're not even aware we're missing anymore? I, I think we may have, but I will tell you, I work and I haven't ever shared my company, nor will I because this, this podcast doesn't represent their views, nor, nor would I ever pretend to. But I will say culturally, I've seen, I work for a Fortune 100 company that's been around a long, long time. We'll just say that. And uh, I, I was recently at a very senior event. I, I, I'm not very senior in the company, but I, I was able to help facilitate this event and uh, up north, we'll just say that. And... Um, I saw what those folks, the senior executives in this company, were wearing, yeah. including the CEO of the company. And the uniform of choice now appears to be, and it's almost a uniform, dark blue jeans, meaning like selvage or, or mm. very dark blue jeans and not faded, a sport coat and an Oxford shirt, along mm. with a pair of uh, 
either dockside or, or some kind of shoe that's not uh, a tennis shoe, but something mm-hmm. that looks semi-formal or not yeah. semi-formal, but uh, business casual, business yeah. casual. A- and I think culturally that was a major shift for this company. Uh, and But I think the reason why is, is they're all going after the same talent pool that are all millennials now. And millennials don't wear suits to, to work. They may wear suits to church or they may wear suits to events, but they don't wear suits to church, uh, to, to work. And to attract those, those employees, which is your target demographic. Now, if you're hiring professionals, you, you have to have to, uh, kind of mold to that culture in a way. Um, you know, it's funny is, is when I, when I was fit client facing with this company, I, I went into offices where people still wore ties. So I wore a tie to work mm. every single day and a sport coat. Um, so, so there's still some professionals out there wear ties and sport coats and slacks and, and dress shoes. Um, the rule in consulting is whatever your client's wearing, that's the way, what you wear. Sure. You, you, you adopt their dress so that you're making them, you want to be just a little bit dressier than they are just attach. Mm. So maybe if they're, they're not wearing a tie, but they're wearing a sport coat in an Oxford, you wear a tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so that's, if they're wearing a suit, you wear a suit and maybe you put a handkerchief in the pocket, which by the way, if you're wearing a suit, you should have a handkerchief in your pocket, but anyway, pocket square is called the, a the pocket square. Term. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, and, and by the way, I know we, like you said earlier, I know we don't look at, but you and I both are usually pretty well dressed when we go out. I so. have never had an aversion to being thought of as the best dressed in the room. I'm fine with that. Well, I, I explained <laughs> how I learned my lesson, and that was uh, 30 years ago. I haven't made that same mistake twice. <laughs> so I was very fortunate. Uh, I, um, you know, uh, those who have been listening uh, to the show over the years know that I've had, you know, mixed mixed things in, in, with respect to the relationship I've had with my father. But one thing that I've always been very grateful. This was a man who was extremely well uh cultured and and sophisticated in his put together i i learned how to put together a proper suit how to uh, groom and so forth very early on and i've always maintained that um you know we sit around relaxed when we're in our home studios and whatnot but uh i think it's just there's there's a respect that is reflected for me i'll speak for myself in 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 self-respect and what my feelings are towards you who I'm interacting with when I show up a certain way. And if I'm the only one who feels that way, that's okay. You don't need to feel a certain thing, but if you are a client that might be prone to having a certain reaction, I want to make sure that that reaction is as positive as, as I can make it because first impressions do matter for those who who think that's just an old adage. Well, there's truth behind it. Um, it's not an old adage. It's just an old truth. Yes. <laughs> so there yes. you go. It, it's, um, it's funny you should say that. I did not get the benefit. Well, it's not that I didn't get the benefit of it because my father was not that way. My father simply wasn't around. He, he was so involved in, in uh, uh, his work, which dealt with serious, serious issues. And I don't begrudge him that, you know, I'm a workaholic too. Um, but, but, I really didn't get that, nor I, I wonder if he just didn't realize that was something that should have been taught. I, I think his generation, they just knew because you look at pictures of hobos in the forties and in the thirties and they're all wearing suits. They're worn yeah. out, but they're suits. Uh, and so that's, that's an interesting change in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, starting when I was a kid through your childhood, 
people became kind of like they dress more like bums <laughs> than bums dressed like in the 40s and 50s. Well, and, and <laughs> so, I would say the the late 60s into the 70s, there became a pop sort of subculture that you know the hippie generation that sort of period where to to be cool was to be somewhat for lack of a better term raggedy please feel free to write in and and tell me that's that's nonsense but if you look at the way the dress it it's not trying to disparage but it was not the era of before where cool was a leather jacket and you know uh, uh, even with a t-shirt but there was a certain uniform that that came with it you know if you understand what i mean um no no the uniform of the 70s when i grew up was in early 80s was a black t-shirt with a pair of raggedy jeans and a pair yeah. of adidas tennis shoes yeah. whereas the uniform of the 1950s was a pair of jeans but they were salvage jeans you cut the bottom Absolutely. and, and you wear a white shirt with a leather jacket and if you went out today dressed that way, nobody would look at you a second time. They would think you were looking pretty cool, you know. A well, and if you, if you, go ahead. Th go no, ahead. no, it's you just hit on my point beautifully because I think you know they say what's old is new again. This is this is sort of a common thing, and it's there is an element that I find fascinating, which is to say that while most people don't see themselves in that kind of presentation of a certain generation today. If you are to go out of the box and dress in a suit, everybody's looking at you saying, wow, look at you, they look fantastic. If you were to throw on the nice leather jacket, even with the cuffed pants and, and go to the sort of that vintage put together, uh, it's not a hipster, but uh, you know, I call it beatnik. We we'll yeah. call it beatnik. Yeah. People wow, you look like you you know there's there's it's fascinating to watch the reactions of a generation that doesn't quote respect that kind of antiquated, you know, uh, presentation, but then then they see it in person and they're like, "Wow, that's really cool." Now for them, I guess it's probably new, right? Because they're not something they're seeing on a regular basis. But it's, you know, I say the same thing, you know, in, 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 in Broadway shows, this is going to sound like a weird analysis, but uh, if you follow me, tap dancing has almost disappeared from public performance. There are very small circles, even on Broadway. It's a rare thing to go to an, a show, uh, a, a musical show, and actually see tap dancing anymore. Uh, there was a time where it was everywhere. It was in the movies. It was on the street. Mm -hmm. It was all over the place. Now it is a, a rare thing to come across, uh, a, you know, that in, in a larger scale presentation. And, you know, people say, well, there's no use for it. There's no this and that. And yet, if you go to a program and they happen to put some real hoofers up there on the stage, you will never see people jump to their feet with excitement and amazement sooner. And you think, okay, so people still enjoy this. Why aren't we uh, you know, really involving ourselves in, in continuing that kind of presentation. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I well, see Katie it's the has same come thing in with Saw Shoe. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, I, I see Katie has an opinion. Katie has, has come opinion. in to, to express her uh, better end on the on the topic. For those of you who don't same know, same thing Katie, with Saw Shoe. Yeah, Katie's right behind me. Let's see if she'll pop up. There's, yeah, oh, she's a welcome she guest is. on our program. 
Uh, we've heard <laughs> from her go. a few times. <laughs> She's the big deep bark, not the little yippy bark. <laughs> but anyway, no, I, 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 it is sad because these art forms, uh, if they're anywhere, they're still in dance studios. But uh, I always love tap. It, it's what attract me to um, the brothers, the two brothers. Oh, the Nicholas shoot. brothers. Um, well, them the Nick- and who's the other guy? The other two. Oh, well, the Heinz, um, Gregory, the the Heinz, the Heinz brothers. Heinz brothers. Yeah. And, and of course, Red Fox was a soft shoe guy and people don't realize that because I, back I then, as you've that. said on previous episodes, you had to do everything. You had to sing, you had to dance, yes. you had to do comedy, you yes. had to do everything. Uh, and so uh, I, I, and of course, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. is another renaissance. He was a renaissance entertainer who, who could do it all and, and uh, was also very engaging. And, and so I, I find it interesting that these, lost arts if you will mm-hmm. people do get off when they see it they're they're like why, why don't we get more of this but i guess i guess the entertainment industry thinks those are those either that or there's just not enough people who can do it well perhaps i don't know you would be amazed uh how many now look in the in not in mass numbers like as it used to be but there are still a wide, many more than you see and for those who are actually out there training to be performers in the world of dance, musical theater and whatnot. Almost all of them are still studying at some level tap dance or whatnot. And, you know, what does this have to do with our larger topic? I think it's just, there's there, it's a curiosity in the development of our culture, how things can go out of popularity in, in the way we engage with them ourselves but the fact of the matter is there's still a love and a respect for it, whether it's wearing a great suit, whether it's, you know, putting on a certain level of performance, whether it's showing up to a conference and, you know, being actually put together, having a sense of presentation, spoken, written, visual, uh, and dress. I, I, I would argue that anybody who puts the idea that there's no value in these things there's no value to taking consideration on on these uh, aspects of a more traditional approach to engagement. They're, I think they're missing something. My humble. I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And you know what's sad is is there are subcultures that uh, I'd certainly embrace these movements. You know, there was a rockabilly revival about mm-hmm. uh, I think it'd be a little over a decade ago now. Yeah, I was in California, and, and I at thought the time. it was. It was fascinating to watch uh, young people who were in their early 20s who uh, had no, maybe their grandfather was rockabilly, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's my dad's generation. Sure. That is my dad's generation that was rockabilly. And, and to watch them adapt it and, and make it their own uh, was really neat to see. And, and that subculture still around. The music's still being made. Uh, it, it may be not as hip as it was a decade or a little more than a decade ago, but it was pretty cool, and, and I liked that they adopted that dress style, including the suits, by the way, which I thought was great to see these young 20-somethings wearing their suit with sure. their big pompadour hairdos <laughs> and, and the women in their in their, their 1950s-era dresses and, and their lipstick and the made-up that way. The only thing I noticed that was incredibly different were the tattoos. I mean, the tattoos yeah. were bigger, and, and, and but other than that, it was very, very true to... The Johnny Cash, who, by the way, was a rockabilly guy before he sure. was a country guy. Sure. Uh, and uh, Elvis. Jerry Lee Lewis. And Elvis. Elvis and all those guys. Yeah. Uh, Ray Charles uh, was rockabilly for a while at the beginning of his career as well. So, 
I thought it was really cool. And uh, you'll see those again. Uh, like I said, the, the leather jacket, the white T-shirt, the selvage jeans with mm. the cuff and the boots. That's hip yeah. right now. You know, you wear that. You're pretty hip. And <laughs> the advice, I think, if for anyone who's much younger than we are, if you buy classic, it never goes out of style. Just buy classic. I was I was just going to say there there's there's a term for things that are timeless, you know, the certain yeah. styles of clothing, certain vehicles that doesn't matter how many decades go past that car looks as good in the lineup as it, it ever did. Um, yeah. You know, a, a certain style of shoe will never be out of style. Um, if you're buying huge platform, you know, uh, Doc Martens or whatever it is that. Okay, there's there's always going to be a, a neighborhood where that's going to be hip, but it's I guarantee within a decade that's not necessarily going to still be what is the on the standard street. A good pair of Oxfords or whatnot will work in any setting, any place, at any time. Um, yep. And you know, adding to that the concept of you know buy right once, you know, it's okay to spend a little bit more on something within your budget that's a better quality and a more classic. Uh, timeless style that you'll never have to replace that. You know, you can repair it as needed, but a good pair of shoes, you can replace the soles of and repair, you know, for decades. And it's worth it. Amen. Amen. And there are American made clothing that you can buy that's high quality. And, and to your point, you're going to buy once, cry once, because it's going to be double the price, yeah. but you'll get five times the life out of it. You yes. will. You will get five times the life. In fact, your kids will probably get it when you're gone. If, if you Pick right, and, and, and uh, you know what's interesting about I, I'm thinking of shoes specifically. The best uh, made shoes are often the least comfortable at first. Right, you know, a while. lot of times takes it takes while. you have to earn a good pair of shoes. They, you, there might be a blister or two within reason, but once they have the leather soft and informed to your foot properly, when it is the right size, that's important. Uh, when they have broken in, suddenly there's just nothing better it's it's a, a slipper you're walking around in well hey guys uh, we both know uh it'll take you a while to break in those nice cowboy boots that cost you a, a few hundred dollars but once they're broken in they're more comfortable than a pair of tennis shoes no absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> if they if you got them to fit right that yes, is the key you have to start to, the right size need, yeah yes and, and by the way that's how i end up with a lot of shoes that i didn't purchase because someone tends to hover between two sizes so if they're too small on him they end up in my my closet not mentioning any names i don't Charles. know who that could be <laughs> <laughs> so anyway no no uh, listen this has been fun but but we've meandered all over the world uh here in our discussion i i think that's fun i i like when we do that hopefully our listeners do as well and if you do there's a way you can tell us you like this how do they do that well uh we have this this uh uh, what what's what's that old folks term? Uh, email, email, yes. Email. Uh, the, Google the, email. the Google mail, the Google mail, the Google mail, yes. The email of the G. <laughs> Civil discourse, T N S S. That stands for this is not a safe space at gmail dot com. And uh, you know, some episodes we're really focused and we're really on a specific topic or uh, or or high horse, as the case may be. <laughs> And other times we were having fun. And of course, today we wanted to uh, 
enjoy our cameras and not that I'm dying to stare at you, you know, for an hour each time. But uh, Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why you would not want to stare at all this beauty, but your face on the other. No, I'm playing. Well, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> we, we all have to pay our dues. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, we, we would love, as always, to hear from you guys. Uh, send us an email. Uh, hit the like button. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, keep an eye out. We'll start putting links up to Instagram, TikTok. Uh, we haven't decided all the different platforms we're going to utilize, uh, such as Facebook and, and, and Twitter and things like that. But uh, we will definitely have it out there and we'll, uh, it'll be easy for you to find once we've uh, established that in the next couple of weeks here. And uh, we'll be back to you know more uh, cutting edge uh, topic in discussion uh, next time. But uh, today was to have fun. So there we are. Yeah, I and I appreciate these episodes. We don't do them a lot, but but <laughs> occasionally we do. You know, you made a comment last episode. You don't think they they realize we plan all these? We did not plan this episode. Uh, it's kind of like our our um, we did an episode on on pre- preparedness. We didn't plan that episode. It actually became a discussion. And I said, wait a minute, let me hit the record button. And then we started recording it. So occasionally we do this. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. I always enjoy it. And hopefully our listeners do too. Hey, hey, if you're listening, do me a favor. Just hit that hit that email address and, and uh, just say I'm listening and, and shoot it to us. I, yeah. I'd like to know if anybody's actually getting to the end of these episodes or if they're actually giving up on us halfway through. It, so, it, it always helps. Uh, please do. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, like we say, like and share. Um, check out the videos once we uh, post them. A big thank you to uh, Keith Zdrojevi and Parker McNerney. Our, uh, our, uh, I mean, what do we call them? Are they? There are our production, our production team. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, that uh, they're really have uh, been wonderfully helpful from the very beginning of this endeavor and going forward. The Lazarus Trio, uh, the great Carl Groves, and uh, you, my friend. Mr. Mike Conan. The other guy. The other guy. <laughs> uh, the uh, wonderful music that uh, brings us in and out, and hopefully uh, you're, you're all enjoying as much as we are with that. And uh, you are listeners. It's It really is a pleasure uh, not only to have you on the other line, but to uh, the other end of the line, but to, uh, to hear from you when you write in and, uh, and let us know your thoughts. And, uh, hey, co-host... Dr. Conager. Hey, Thanks. back at you. Thank you for, for again for all your hard work. And I, I do want to double thank Parker because we've had some technical issues lately and he's punch, trying to punch his way through them, uh, with, including with the trying to remove fogies. one audio track to lay another <laughs> audio track over top of it. Uh, so, so keep at it, Parker. We do appreciate you. And, you know, if you just don't have enough podcasts in your life, be sure to listen to Parker's podcast, which is the Flix. Flix, Flix capacitor, capacitor, is that right? Yep. In fact, um, I'm going to be on their next episode. We're going to be talking about uh, The Batman, uh, the recent film that came out um, with Edward Cullum. <laughs> the car is cool. The car, <laughs> I, let's put it this way. It's going to be a heated debate. So uh, check that out. Maybe we'll do a link to their podcast on our uh, our post here. We'll, and, we'll do it again. And, and yeah. Flix, by the way, is F-L-I-C-K-S, not F-L-I-X. Some dummy okay. looked for F-L-I-X and never found it. So, oh, there we uh, go. But I'll, I'll throw the link back on. And uh, listen, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate Parker. I appreciate all our listeners. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, sometimes we, we probably feel like we're just 
blowing in the wind and, and nobody's <laughs> hearing us. So, uh, which is okay too. This is therapeutic. So listen, yeah. we appreciate you and we cannot wait to hear from you again next week. So thank you so much. See you then. <laughs>